four reasons people buy in a row, everybody, every customer, even you. It's pain now, pain later, pleasure now, pleasure later, period. Hmm. Anything, anything you're selling. That is why people buy in that order. So if you've got a product that's going to solve their pain right away, that's where you're going to get the most influence right away very quickly. I love that one. Freaking I, I gold thinking, nugget from Mr. Huge, Myers. Mr. Myers breaks it down from violin virtuoso to Christian rock star <laughs> groupie to, and to I mean, sell a chicken. Zero chickens in a trailer. Zero <laughs> sales training, zero education, zero formal sales training. It just... I think that's probably the bigger part of stuff. Amazing. Welcome to the Small Business Safari, where I help guide you to avoid those traps, pitfalls, and dangers that lurk when navigating the wild world of small business ownership. I'll share those gold nuggets of information and invite guests to help accelerate your ascent to that mountaintop of success. It's a jungle out there, and I want to help you traverse through the levels of owning your own business that can get you bogged down and distract you from hitting your own personal and professional goals. So strap in, adventure team, and let's take a ride through the safari and get you to the mountaintop. All right, small business adventure team, it's time to get rocking. But you know what? Sometimes we have to do a sound check before we get started. And our sound check got real deep, real fast. Didn't it? <laughs> That's right. Wow. I'm a little nervous, Chris. I am, I'm it's not... kind of like if you invited Gordon Ramsay over for dinner and you were cooking. Yeah. So we, uh, we have a very special guest. Uh, and this is one where usually I put Alan in the dark. And feed him shit in the mushroom world. That's right. But this time, he's got me in the dark, and he said, "Oh, by the way, here's who we have coming on today. Uh, you might want to go look him up." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking him up." I'm like, he goes, "Yeah, this is what he does." And I'm not going to tell you guys yet because I'm going to have to have explain it because uh, Alan had to say it <laughs> twice for me. Remember, I'm just a contractor, man. That's all I am. I tried to use the smallest words I could. He did. He used the word rep, and I was like, "Nope, uh-uh, nope, not getting it at all." And uh, he goes, "Well, go check out his website." So I do. And what's this guy do? He specializes in audiovisual equipment and making sure people sound perfect. And he walked into here and he's he's looking at this Mickey Mouse operation of the small business safari going, you guys are kind of a big deal. And I'm like, that was very nice of him. But I was waiting for him to say, and your little podcast, too. <laughs> so, well, and, he, and, and, you know, he comes in and I know he has a studio that is unbelievable as a matter of fact i think in your studio they interviewed bono remotely yeah well yeah, say but... it remotely i'm sure he sounded fine and he comes in and we're pretty proud of what we got going on and we are kind of a big deal top 10 percent mm-hmm. right right we are top 10 we've yeah. broken it we broke into the top 10 percent of all podcasts of all podcasts in the universe and yet Again, I feel like I just invited Gordon Ramsay to dinner. And so you're having fun with the speaker. So <laughs> nice. Give give me your sling blade again. Well, I mean, actually, this is a microphone, <laughs> but it's fine. We'll work on that later. <laughs> I love it. All right. So, Alan, who do we have in studio since you know him so much? Uh, dear friend of mine, Marcus Myers, one of my favorite people on the planet. And what I think our listeners are going to get into is, uh, you know, we've kind of been on this pattern of... Uh, more balls than brains and i'm not saying that that marcus doesn't have brains because he's actually one of the deepest thinkers i know but here's somebody who started and we got to get into it he was a musician we can talk about how much education he had whatever we wanted that'll be fast yeah that'll be fast um and now he 
owns the largest rep agency in audiovisual in the Southeast. If you go see a Georgia football game, when you're listening to everything coming through the loud, you know, the system. And it is booming. Go dogs. That's Marcus. Go dogs. Yeah. Um, he's hung out with Charles Barkley, the country music scene. You know, it, he's all right. He's kind of a big deal. So let's back up before, before we go. Down he doesn't mean very white. And I want to hear the sling blade. Yeah, I love mustard. <laughs> all my biscuits. All my, all my biscuits. <laughs> I don't think it's biscuits. It's, I not think biscuits. it's like cornbread or something. <laughs> I don't even know. That's what makes it better. It's biscuits. all wrong. It's yeah. all wrong. All right. But before we go down the uh, history of who is. I do have a cool beer here. I want to. I want to look all right. Let's, uh, you know, for some, for somebody else who's not sponsoring us. Yeah. It should be these guys. All right. It's, and cheers. It's cheers. It's Huss Brewing out of Phoenix. Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Huss Arizona. Brewing. I don't think you can buy it here. It was brought to me by a friend of mine, but this is called Senfo IPA, C-E-N-P-H-O, which is uh, abbreviated for Central Phoenix, which is a really cool part of Phoenix, but... This, so this I'm actually hitting up every uh, every alcohol that we have ever sponsored. I'm making Mike get a list together, and we're going after him, saying, "If you don't sponsor me, I'm going to stop drinking." And I know I'm changing. I know I'm changing. That's your big GDP. talk. Well, that's big talk. You know, if that I guy is going to Napa Valley next week. Well, that's true. But, but okay, so this particular two weeks, from now. this particular IPA. Ha- Am I leaking? You are leaking. Oh, I, I opened it before I turned it over to show you the label. Sorry. There we go. All the way. It, it you know it's the common uh, thing right now like tropicalia they they all have these citrusy flavors right so they have people who live in this neighborhood and everybody out there has lemon trees and grapefruit trees and things like that so the citrus they use in this beer is brought to them by the neighbors and that's and this is a big time brewery and cool. Isn't that, that is cool? cool? That is all right. Senfo right. cool. from Hus Brewing Company. We'll get a report on that a little bit later from Alan. After we first figure out what a audiovisual rep is, I just want to let's let's figure out what this industry is, and then then we'll go back up, and I want to hear about the history of uh, recording. So, what the hell do you guys do, man? <laughs> Sometimes I don't even know, <laughs> but it's fun. <laughs> Every day is different. It's a great job. It's a great career. It's a great business. Um, HWP stands for Henry W. Phillips. Started by Henry W. Phillips in 1970. So my partner and I um, bought the business in 2015, January 1, from David Pergantis, who had purchased the business from his father-in-law, Henry. And back then, the independent manufacturer's rep firm was the bee's knees, and you couldn't stop them. And it was just the coolest thing in the world. Because if you can picture manufacturers making products and needing to get to the customer base without the internet, what did they have back then? Honestly, they had catalogs and uh, some trade shows, I guess, but mostly you were knocking on doors and people were coming to show you new stuff. That's how you found out. So that's how manufacturers got connected to the customer was through in-person relationships and in-person contexts. And so the the options out there for a manufacturer are essentially to have a dedicated sales force working strictly on salary for that manufacturer in the whole country or sometimes even in the world, but in the country for sure. Um, And so depending on the size and scope of that manufacturer, they might benefit uh, more from the independent manufacturer's rep firm model. Meaning if manufacturer A is making shoes and another manufacturer is making shorts 
instead of having one or maybe two sales reps in a six state territory in the Southeast, they can actually share my team of five or six or in our case, nine different salespeople out in six states selling audio, video, lighting, got it, IT security. So an independent manufacturer's rep firm refers to essentially a third party sales team. So the cool part about that is that when you connect with that customer base, you're sending your products into the territory through a team of people that are um, exclusive to that category. So in our case, if we're selling microphones, we're selling Sure Incorporated microphones, the number one microphone brand in the world. And can't tell you how thankful we are to partner with them. Incredible company, incredible legacy, the best products in the world, some fun history there we can talk about. But in partnering with um, HWP, they utilize our nine outside sales reps in six states. But we also don't have another partnership with another microphone company. We're exclusive to that microphone. So they can trust us to not have any conflict of interest walking into a customer, taking their new product or old product or the needs that they have um, to the customer base. They're confident that we're selling their product every day. But what's neat for the customer is that rather than only seeing a dedicated, sure salesperson, maybe twice, how often do you need to see the microphone guy? Not often, right? right. You know the product. So because we have it, at this point, I think right now we have 15 partners, 15 manufacturer partners. We're much more valuable in that sense to that customer because when we call them, we have 15 different products to you're, offer. You're them. a one-stop shop. A little bit. We're definitely, um, and we can get into this a little bit more. This is how it kind of um, uh, progressed over the years and how my partner Trey and I really pushed what we do to the next level. But uh, prior to the internet, as an independent manufacturer's rep firm, we were personally bringing in products to show them, demonstrate them, and the customers needed us to come tell them about the stuff. The manufacturers needed us to take the stuff to the customer and tell them all about it. With the internet and the scaling of access through the internet to data, both sides said, hey, I can get some of the data and some of the info. So some of the fun stuff that we did was take that approach and shift that value to uh, a more of a contextual value. So there's a great book out there called The Challenger Sale, which we talk about a lot in our company. We've all read it. It's fantastic. And it was um, a study in a book written over the 808, 2010 era when... Lovely time. Yeah, lovely time. Life. Lovely time. Yeah. But what a great book. This guy went in and, and interviewed all these CEOs and said, hey, who killed it for you on your sales team? Who was the guy that really made a difference, guy or girl? What was it? Was it, I think there were seven or eight different types of salesperson, whether it was relational or the technical knowledge-based guy, all these different types of salespeople. And hands down across the board, they all simply expected that relational relationship salesperson to be the top dog, especially during this downturn. Like who knows the people they know the people that's great. They're bringing donuts. But what the book, <laughs> what the book really talks about is that the mo the most profitable, valuable salesperson type was this challenger type. 
And it made total sense because do you know about this, Chris? Nope. Great I'm, book. I'm, I'm, I'm digging. I'm writing it down, man. Here. Great book. Um, I don't remember the author, but the guy that made hay during that time was not the guy that was relational and brought donuts and hung out. These companies were surviving and they were trying desperately to find new ways to make money. So the guy that was the most valuable was the guy that came into their business and challenged the way that they looked at their own business, challenged the way that they looked at the industry, challenged the way that they did things and said, I think you might be doing that wrong. Here's what I'm hearing out there. Here's what I think might work for you guys. Oh, by the way, I sell some stuff. So great twist on what traditionally had been, Hey, you know, you've got the relationships. And so as a rep firm, that book made a big difference to us because relationally prior to the internet, rep firms ruled the roost and all manufacturers wanted rep firms and they were top dog because they had the relationship because we're regional. Gotcha. Yeah. No, you're right. You had to change your model completely because I got the data. Yeah, I can look up. Sure. You know, I'll pick, I'll pick the microphone I need. So I, I don't need you to do that. I got spreadsheets. I got all that stuff. Right. I got all that. And so, but now you come walking in and with the challenger mindset is, Hey, I understand you guys want these, uh, sure microphones or one of my other 14 products, but I'm not here to talk to you about my products. I'm here to tell you, here's what I just heard about what your, your competitors are doing. Yep. Hands down. That was a big, big shift for us. That was a big deal. So we started to train our folks on how to actually sit there with a prospect and talk to them while they were looking at their laptop, while they were looking at their computer. And it was a really interesting kind of role-playing year or two for us, just working through that um, that shift to what we do, because now the customer has all the information. So right. 50 years ago, they had none. Yeah. Now they have it all. So how are we going to be valuable? How are we going to matter? So And you guys are, just to be clear, we're all B2B sales here. That's yes, what we're talking about. Yeah. Yes, so, sir. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we spend our time uh, calling on the B2B, the channel, they call it. So if you have Georgia, for instance, the University of Georgia, the stadium there, HWP was not the company that designed and installed the system. That was a company called TSAV. We simply called on TSAV and got them to pick our stuff, got them to pick the stuff we represented. And so across our 15 lines, which they were different back then but across our 15 lines we would say these products work together here these are going to work great here um super honest approach but um a real value add based on that challenger concept it's i'm fascinated because it's uh not a business model i understood uh and i hope people are picking up what he's putting down uh, and what he's doing. And I mean, it's a really different and interesting business that we're going to talk about. It's a super interesting business, but, and normally I think we spend a little bit too much time on people's backgrounds before we get into what they can bring to the table. But I think one of the things that's amazing about Marcus is how he got to the point of being where he is today. It's an unbelievable ballsy story. All right. So let's get my ADD head off uh, going down the business path. Marcus, how the hell did you get into this business? <laughs> I mean, where are you from originally? He was a musician. Do you have what it takes to start your own business? Are you tired of the nine to five corporate job and ready to make that leap into entrepreneurship? You need to check out from the zoo to the wild. The book by successful entrepreneur, Chris Lalomia. This book is a unique perspective on the journey into the wild world of home services and delivering excellence in service while working in customers' homes. 
Lala Mia shares his path to success in this industry, including proven customer relationship strategies, award-winning customer experience processes, and a unique approach to training a team of service technicians to perform at the highest levels. Whether you're a small business trying to scale or a franchise operation, from the zoo to the wild will give you the mindset, habits, leadership style, and customer-oriented processes to succeed as a small business owner in the world of home services. So if you're ready to take control of your future, get a copy of From the Zoo to the Wild, today, available on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> at what point? At one point, for a lot of points. Yeah, it for a lot of points. 10 years. <laughs> at one point, for many points. Yeah, it's a fun story. Like it really is, man. Musician. Yeah. Um, at nine, I started playing violin. At 16, I was asked to be in a Christian rock and roll band playing violin. So I jumped into, yeah, I jumped <laughs> in. Chris's eyes are like no, dinner plates right this now. truck up, yeah, right? Bro. You just said, I went to a Christian rock band with my violin. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was rocking my violin. I was like, all right, Charlie Daniels. This <laughs> devil went down to Georgia, and he's out here rocking a violin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was waiting to hear, you know, I'm shredding a guitar. Oh, I, yeah. I'm a mad singer. All yeah, right. Oh, man. It, it was a weird, it was such a weird process. And the funny part about the story really quickly is I think you'll you'll get a kick out of it is from nine to 16 I'm playing classical music so I'm not even playing bluegrass I'm not even like playing by ear you know they teach you to turn your nose up at that stuff you're playing what Bach wrote and if you're not F you you can you know pound sand you're playing what he wrote the way he wrote it you don't take any liberties don't be a hillbilly we Everyone, play Bach. yeah we don't who, talk to who those were people. you who, where were you learning so, so I like grew up in Julia. Columbia South uh, South Carolina and you, the University of South Carolina had a great, great strings program. Wow. Uh, incredible. And between junior and senior year, I um, actually attended governor school for violin at Furman University. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But you're at this time, you're playing nothing but classical. Nothing but classical. And so, and you liked it. I liked it. Um, I they got the chicks it, in it, high school. No, no, not in high school. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Vi like strings are like below marching band. I mean, it's bad news. But did yeah, you dude. play marching band, Chris? Uh, no. Yeah, but you said you get the chicks. Like, no, dude, I don't think mm -hmm. so. Unless mm -hmm. that's my dry chicks. sense of humor, Chris. Do I, oh, do I draw I'll catch a freaking picture sarcasm. For you? Well, Lord. it is a podcast. Sarcasm okay. really plays through the radio. Really I did well. make a step up into the into the chick world with the Christian band, but a very slight <laughs> step up. I mean, Christian band is not necessarily a whole lot cooler. Yeah, so I watched Almost Famous, and I've watched uh, uh, Dirt with uh, with Motley Crue. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's what your your whole Christian rock band travel experience. Oh God, like. no, <laughs> yeah, no. absolutely not. Yeah, All no, right. but it was amazing. We had a great time. Um, but but being invited to come in and play with the band was the funny part of the story because in classical music, you play what someone wrote for you. I'd never improved. I'd never made it up on the spot. So when they invited me to come to one of their practices they gave me a tape that's right people a cassette tape yeah yep with the pencil and the rewinding yourself right. and all that yeah so uh i put that in in my room spent like four hours writing my parts for the for the three different songs how funny is it it was you, terrible you hear about all these rock guys who would say oh i can't read any music you actually wrote your music i don't know if you caught that i think that's the one thing that that clearly is a the one that i want to bring out 
Um, we're going to talk about how dumb he is because he didn't go to school, mm-hmm. but clearly how smart he is because he was able to play the violin and do that because that is a serious talent. And they talk about, you know, mathematicians and sometimes geniuses play uh, musical instruments because it tickles both sides of the brain and it really allows you to demonstrate creativity, but yet have a technical background. So clearly you got, you, you got, you got some stuff going on, brother. That's awesome. It stuff. was fun. And it is kind of fun to make that connection to, to, um, the creativity that came later in um in that you know in that business world so those things have absolutely been connected uh, i'm 43 now and looking back that was uh a journey that absolutely has progressed along the way it's just been these different areas so i'm very thankful to have been able to find different ways to access the skill set that the lord has blessed me with and that's been a lot of fun to watch to watch him use that so but yeah so i'm sitting there at our first show the only one on stage with a daggum music stand like an idiot and they're, and they're just playing along and i'm like reading the music and they turn around halfway through the song and he's like oh it's your it's your turn solo, with the violin solo. solo yeah he's like solo dude solo and i looked at him and i was like man i, I didn't write that i, I didn't write a solo. solo i didn't write a solo and he's like oh it's cool. it's cool it's cool don't worry about it we'll get it next time so it was pretty embarrassing for there there for a little while, but I picked it up. I then um, about a year later picked up the hammered dulcimer, which is a cool instrument. That's the one for the chicks. Hammered dulcimer. Also, not you're looking for a result here that's gonna happen in that I met my wife out on the road see? and it happened. She it's loved like, the violin. Hey, can you come see my hammer and the hammer dulcimer? That's I, right. I, I don't know if I brought this up, but I've seen Almost Famous and Hair with Motley Crue. So again, <laughs> I, I think that's how your whole life was, right? Pretty close, <laughs> you know, pretty close. It's just instead of panties dropping, they were throwing Bibles up there. Right. So we just <laughs> we were just excited to see Christian rock groupies. Totally different vibe. Very different. I haven't seen that movie yet. Lots Christian of coffee. Rock. Like, let's go have coffee. That's what we did. We had a lot of coffee. All right. So you were you were how old when you started touring? Uh, 16. Oh, boy. Yeah. We were driving around in an 18 passenger van. No AC. We'd have the sliding door open on the interstate. <laughs> The road stuff is where that really comes into into play. We we did all the crazy. We had a we had an RV at one point that we bought from Sixpence None the Richer. If you remember the song "Kiss Me," how's it go? Kiss me. Do you remember that song? No. Keep going. Okay. I'm not gonna sing. <laughs> all right. Anyway, hey, let's just old time band. We bought the RV, drove that thing into the ground. Absolutely drove it into the ground. Yeah, yeah. trailer uh box truck we drove all over the country we had a great time somewhere around um 03 we got a record deal with the biggest record label in nashville at the time who had third day jars of clay cabin's call all these big 90s bands and we were super pumped and made our album and uh and within two months of releasing the album another huge label came in and bought that record label for the big three and then uh, dropped all the other acts. So that was kind of the end of the road. I'm, I went and toured a little bit on my own with violin and it was awful. Just, I had been in a band, band of brothers kind of thing for <clears throat> nine years. Right. So then so I, the evening with Marcus Myers and his violin just wasn't playing. No, it was like, you know, I tried to align it to like, I really, I tried to align it to like the vagina monologues because I thought maybe violin, vagina monologues would make sense but no it didn't yeah, work the yeah, night see. with marcus myers and so uh 
Wait, there's just so many violent things I want to <laughs> roll into. But uh, all right, but let's get <laughs> I gotta roll into Lindsay Sterling. I mean, this chick is killing it right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's dancing around playing the violin. I yeah, I I of course she's good looking, but uh, but she can play. Can she really play and dance around? Oh my god, she's amazing. I've never can been you, can you play and dance? No, I, no, what? Well, dance. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. All right. And then um, we used in training at the Trusted Toolbox. Uh, one of the things that Ed brought to us is um, there was a violinist who was going to play, and I, I won't remember his name, but you, hopefully you can give me his name. He was going to play in D.C. He was going to play the, uh, the big theater there. And that night for him to play, it was close to $200 to $2,000 a seat. So NPR and uh, followed him and asked him, could you just go play in the D.C. subway in the morning before? And we're not we're going to do it. So undercover, he goes down there and just starts playing. And he's playing in the in the D.C. sub uh, D.C. with uh, like a million dollar violin with a million dollar. violin, And uh, he got quarters dollars. He got one note that says, I know who you are. You are amazing. Can't wait to see you tonight. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said. So the the thing we brought up in our training with this violinist was know your audience. And so when you walk into a home and we're a carpenter, we're a drywall specialist, we're a plumber know your audience and are you worth 200 to $2,000 a seat or are you worth quarters and pennies? That's cool. And that, that is a really cool way to, to yeah. kind of tie in to this, but it's, he's a very famous violinist that I should know. Um, and Was he had Itzhak Perlman. Uh, no, yeah. I, you know, that's actually, who I would have guessed, but even if you would have, you all have to look it up after the podcast or you know, I'll, I'll drop it somewhere. But cause in Germany, when he, he's really popular in Germany too. And so in that place in Germany, it's like even crazier, more expensive. But anyway, the, the point is he plays violin. I said, I had to go everywhere and I'm, I'm doing it anyway. So here we go. So you get off the road, you come back home and you go, okay, violin. I can't actually crush it and go top 40, go pop music. I can't play with Whitney Houston. I'm I can't gonna... tour. I couldn't do it. And at that time I was getting married. So I knew my wife and I knew we wanted to have a big family and, you either do three things as a musician. You're either writing music, so you're making money off of publishing from songs being played and you get a piece of it every time it's played kind of thing, or you're doing studio work or you're traveling. And I couldn't write to save my life. I couldn't do studio work. I just was terrible at it. And I didn't want to travel because I knew that in order to increase your income traveling and have a family, you just got to travel more. So I knew that um, that was going to backfire. So, um, didn't have a college degree, um, didn't even go to school, went to Carolina for a couple of weeks. And by the time I was in the music program, Pell Grant stuff, scholarship stuff, getting paid to go to school. But if you miss the first three Friday rehearsals, you lose it all kind of thing. And I mean, we had shows every Friday. And you were on the road. We had shows every weekend. So you had to choose. You were living life though, bro. I mean, it was great. Right. I mean, what's. I mean, you want to talk about learning. You, you could go to school in a protected environment and learn to play music, or you could go do what happened to you. Yep. And you had to learn to, well, I can write my music. Then I had to learn to improv. Then I had to learn to uh, be with my band of brothers. And so what did you learn? Your skill sets you were learning there was how to work within the team, uh, how to improv when things don't go your way, how to uh, change a tire when the tire goes flat, how to guess, because my job was not just to play the damn violin, man. Sometimes my job was to say, hey, man, uh, do you know how to fix the spark plug? Uh, no. And we learned about people. I learned everything about people. Ten years, so many people. So you got to, you got so to many tons people. of. I mean, that education alone, right there, is something where college wasn't going to teach you all that. No, right? and I was the young. I was younger than I was four years younger than everyone in the band. We had a management company 
Um, and I was a good eight or nine years younger than all of them. I was the youngest in the whole crew and so out cool. of Columbia, South Carolina. So I got to watch and learn so much about building the business, about them building the, the management company, bringing on new artists. So got a lot of that came out of that. Um, super discouraged, but also kind of like, and I'm only 26. It was actually pretty cool. I got 10 years in this whole world, but I wasn't 40 having made my play at music and having to walk away much older. So thankful for that, but didn't have a degree. So, but you're married, married to so get some pressure. Scary, really scary. My wife is a nurse. So she was very, she was able to help. Um, in that sense, financially went to always had a second job, by the way, 10 years, the entire time I was in the band, I had a second job. Okay. So I had all the things I knew all the things. Yes. You were working with people, people, all kinds of different skills. Um, and was able to just prove to her I was a prepared provider. And that was something that was and should be important to most men. But um, walked into that marriage. She completely trusted me. I wasn't sitting there on my ass doing nothing. So, you know, did a lot of looking, a lot of thinking. Didn't want to waste a whole lot of time knowing that a lot of that stuff out there just required a degree. At that time, a lot of it did. Um, so walked into selling insurance. So I knew I knew about people. I knew I could talk to people. I knew that the sales thing was uh, a low barrier of entry, right? It's not made for everybody, but it certainly welcomes them all in the beginning. <laughs> right. So you're welcome yeah. to come in and try it. Welcome right? all comers. The, yeah. The cage match is on. It's Good on. Luck. Guess what? The cage is open. Good luck. Bro, speaking of cages. So I picked up with, uh, I don't even remember the name of it. It was terrible. It was one of those one of those products that they just throw people and and lead gen cards at you and you're you know you're you're selling not great stuff so i was walking into hair salons and hitting up single moms for eight dollar a month you know uh disability policies that'll maybe pay them i mean it was awful two separate times i met in a trailer with chickens in the trailer like the second time i was like all right the first time I was like, okay, this is the first <laughs> time. It's like, a story. This is a story. I can tell it. The second time I was like, F this shit. I'm out. I'm you out. know what? I think I got to find another one. I can't I do this. I'm another trailer with Dude, a bunch of chickens. I was, I was so miserable. I've seen one more chicken. If I so sell, miserable. If, if I see one more chicken in the trailer while I'm trying to sell insurance, <laughs> gosh, I'm out of here. I mean, who, who says that, right? I mean, not once have I ever uttered that, that, that in my life. Be the title of this. Who, I see I mean, one more chicken. <laughs> one more chicken in a trailer while I'm trying to sell insurance. Hey, but what? I'll tell you what. Not to get to. Hey, this is a business podcast, right? But right. the lesson from that was not what you might think it was. The cool lesson from that was learning about how all customers lie. All of them are lying all the time. It's so they're moving. Not, they're not, moving. not that you think less of them. Nope. They're just lying. So <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here. I haven't spent 10 years, you know, in, in music and relating to people. And for the most part in what we did, we could sit and trust somebody and see them the next year and see them often. Cause we're playing the same kind of venues, but man, when you start selling somebody something that was very different, it goes, it goes from trust to, distrust and maneuvering and a lot of things there that you know they're um, influencing behavior so when someone says something you you begin to learn that what they're saying is either interest in what you're selling or a a 
you know, throw away comment to try to get you to leave kind of thing. So it can be nice. Everyone's nice. But one thing we learned, um, and about 10 years ago in the business, I mean, now heard this from somebody, but four reasons people buy in a row, everybody, every customer, even you, it's pain now, pain later, pleasure now, pleasure later, period. Hmm. Anything, anything you're selling. That is why people buy in that order. So if you've got a product that's going to solve their pain right away, that's where you're going to get the most influence right away very quickly. I love that one. Freaking I, I gold thinking, nugget from Mr. Huge, Myers. Mr. Myers breaks it down from violin virtuoso to Christian rock star <laughs> groupie to and I mean, sell a chicken. Zero chickens in a trailer. Zero <laughs> sales training, zero education, zero formal sales training. It just... I think that's probably the bigger part is it's the, amazing. The education, I think uh, that's a throwaway, really, because he, he got educated, man. Nine years on the road doing what he did, dealing with people and all the stuff he did. Uh, but I want to I want to get into this now because you got into this business. You did ne- you've never done Carnegie, Sandler, no sales training. You no. you figured it out on your way. Yeah. Um. In fact, from insurance, six months in, I was physically ill every day. Like, this is just terrible. So I called a buddy of mine. Chicken disease. Yeah, I probably caught it from the chickens. Yeah. Friend of mine said, man, just bail out Friday. Come over here. I'm helping this company move into a building. And we're doing tile or something. I knew how to do all that stuff. Lots of musicians doing extra stuff, right? So I went over there. Ended up that it was an audio video integration company. One of the channel companies we're talking about, the B2B. So they were doing churches, house of worship, AV install. And then they had a production side of their company that was doing live touring and stuff like that. So as soon as I realized what they were and who they were, man, I just started getting to know all of them. Worked there, moving them into this building, probably maybe four months, something like that. And was painting one day and had always painted. I just um, got to the point where I'm not using the blue tape that everybody's got to use. Don't need any of that. Don't need drop cloths, but had always, Artists. had always just learned to be excellent at what I'm doing. My dad taught me that work hard, be excellent. So I'm in the CEO's office painting his deal. We've gotten to know each other a little bit. We're just talking. He sold insurance for many years. So we're connecting on that. Anyway, we start talking and he's watching me paint and he teaches me something so cool. I spent, you know, a good week or so in there just hanging out doing the tile in there and the paint. And he said, um, he said, man, you know what means the most to me about what you're doing? He said, your attention to detail that you want to do a good job. You're working hard. But what that means for me is this job in particular, this painting a job, a lot of people can do that job, but you're doing that in a way where I can watch I can ver- I can visually see trust in action right now. I can trust that what you're going to do is amazing. And if I can't trust a man with a dollar, I can't trust him with a thousand dollars. And that, that spoke to me because, you know, this is my first other than insurance, which was, which was garbage. This was kind of my first intro into learning some of these concepts that we all spend time reading books on and learning about from, you know, guys who have been out there as entrepreneurs doing the thing. And that really, that really struck me. So we're finishing up, moving them in. I'm kind of coming to the end of this thing. I said, Jay, man, I want a job. I want to be here. I know you like what I do. I know that I don't know what you do, but I'm going to learn. I'm going to do whatever it takes. He said, man, I don't, I just don't have anything for you. And I said, well, Mm -hmm. 
I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I just kept coming. <laughs> I was like the janitor for like two months. I was seriously just did there, took the trash out and like wow. mopped I'll up. I tell you, I actually, I'm like, uh, Jay, if you're listening, Jay, what the hell were you thinking? Right. I mean, <laughs> I would have made something up. I'm like, brother, I, I'll take you a hundred times over. Well, eventually they did. I mean, they were a small business still. They really were. They were maybe like 15, 16 people. They weren't big yet. And they got to a point where they did well, but um, they did make something up. They put me into the purchasing team. I think they gave me 30 grand a year to, to be on their purchasing team and kind of slowly over four years worked up into purchasing manager and then started managing projects all over the country. And then, um, and then 08, 09, boom, it was just, so that just dried up and we tried to do some online, um, online store stuff. Cause that was starting to pop e-commerce. So did that for a little bit, but man, I was like, this is not, this ain't going to last. This isn't going to be good. So the, here's where we get, here's where we're here. We're here. Finally. Thanks for being patient. The, uh, one of the two partners at Miller Electronics, who was the independent manufacturer rep firm for Shure Microphones or Shure Incorporated that sold microphones to me as the purchasing manager. Um, we had coffee one day. I was talking to him about minimum advertised price and all the rules about what you can market on your store, right? Online. And he stops me and he goes, look, man, I appreciate it. I get it. But I got to tell you something. I was sitting there this morning um, and just thought about you because I got a job in Atlanta. I think you'd be great at it. I know you love Nashville, but um, I want you to interview for this job in Atlanta. And it was the sales rep job in Atlanta, one of two. Um, at this time, you know, I'm living in Nashville, I'm married, and I knew that this company was just going to tank and no fault of their own per se, but they're in a, they're in a market where giving to the church kind of dries up at, at hard times. Right. So there, there wasn't a lot of business for us out there. Touring was struggling. So I took the job. So thankful October, 2010, moved my family, two kids to Atlanta to start this job at Miller. That's where I met my future partner, Trey, who was the rep in Birmingham at the time. And come to find out, um, the guy that hired me was the partner to another dude, older guy that was no good. Uh, so about a year and a half in, I told Trey, I said, man, I'm sorry, I got to head out. And I went to another another firm, HWP, with the intent to purchase that one day. And Trey's uh, boss, the other owner, ended up, frankly, screwing him out of becoming his partner. And so he called me and said, let's start a firm. And I said, man, let's buy this one. It's fantastic. With, with all the money you had? No money. All right, no so, money. That's the next part of the story. So let's go back to, uh, you know, I, I write music. I just don't play music. Mm. Uh, and and so you had the foresight to go to this company with the intent of buying it. Tell, talk, talk a little bit more about that. Of course, with, uh, as Alan has so eloquently put, not a pot to piss in. That's what I would have put. Um, is that what I said? No, well, you said no money. And that's yeah. like so boring. A pot to piss in is so much better <laughs> because nobody knows what that means anymore. But anyway. I know what it means. Like, I, I definitely know what it means. <laughs> right? That's it, what back in the depression. Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's right. Not even a pot piss to piss. Piss poor. You're piss poor. Yeah. You right. literally were peeing and you didn't have a pot to put your pee in. That yep. was real bad. That was when it was real bad. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Good. All right. So you, how did you, Business. how did you see that? Uh, so I'll be honest with you guys. So much of my story. I'd rather have you lie. No, yeah, no. right. So much of my story is in 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 my world. I I credit this to the Lord, but so much of my story is 
being someone who learned from my dad how to always work hard and how to always be excellent at what you're doing. And boy, especially nowadays, you are going to stand out. And what happens from that, regardless of what you believe, is that opportunity comes from that. It's a combination of preparedness and luck. Exactly right. We just heard this a couple episodes ago with Jen Gore Cuthbert. Remember her yep. of the uh, Gore Law? That's right. Pain Gore, Gore Pain. She said, all I have to do, because uh, you're a little bit younger than uh, me, and you're a lot younger than Alan. Uh, so <laughs> hey, That's not funny. Why are you laughing so hard? So, I'm, I'm drunk already, okay. I guess. It's just the bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's what we do here. But isn't, isn't that funny how often that comes up? And you just talked about that. And I'm sure at some point your dad probably said, Marcus, you can't get enough something for nothing. you got to work hard. You expect to have it all right away. Because we've heard that every year yeah my dad heard that from his dad i heard that from yeah. my dad i tell it to my kids every night told them last night do better do better and then of course my daughter always fires back at me with dad well you know uh back to father's day um hey dad can you make me a mimosa i'm like well sure kid she goes you know i mean not to make you work on father's day but you know if it wasn't for me you you wouldn't have this day <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that, that that's my kid She's definitely smarter than me he is she awesome is. This kid has three. Th- All right. So, yeah, but you saw it, you worked hard. And and again, amen to that, because that people at the end of the day, it still just comes down to sometimes it's just freaking hard work and you got to take, yeah. pay, pay attention to detail. You had to practice for hours and hours. You just don't pick up a violin and play. Trust me. I tried. Hmm. Uh, and you just, you can't, it's just, it's hard to do. So here you are, you saw it. So opportunity meets work, hard work and, and, and here we are. And, and so how did you see that? So at Miller, um, one of, one of the things I'll say was a big part of it is yes, working hard. But I think one of the first times that I kind of was able to actually realize that some of that creativity that came from whatever side of the brain that comes from and all that music world, um, is, is the, is the ability to, to see something that's being, um, that's being asked of you in a way that is meant to incentivize you, but is not. And, and recognizing that personally at Miller in particular was something that the independent manufacturer rep firm um, is unique to. So, so our, uh, the quick version of this is this older gentleman that um, was the last remaining partner. Uh, he, he had released kind of this new, comp pay policy that was intended to incentivize us as um, representatives to sell more of the breadth of the products that we had. But he sort of miscalculated in the sense that he ended up kind of just being a math guy. And so he put together a, a, a plan that was just calculating certain things. If you sold more of these than the percentage, I, I won't go into it. It actually de-incentivized someone like me, because I saw that for what it was. So it was the first time that I realized my brain was not only able to look at something just simply as a salesperson, but actually question and kind of challenge that, that initial intent and say, Hey, this, this is actually completely backwards to what you're trying to get me to do. And what I, when I brought that to him, this guy was pretty awful. He, he honestly was just cruel and mean and awful about it. And I won't go into that, but he, a didn't listen, didn't take it into account, and then kind of was belligerent and 
you know, go away and just do what I tell you to do. And so it was the first time I really felt like, man, I, I believe that I, I could actually do this better. And I think at some point that hits certain people in a certain way. And at that point it didn't hit me like, I'm going to go start my own business. I'm, I'm going to go do this myself. But when the opportunity came along to interview with another firm in Atlanta, because my customer base here had become, had become very quickly impressed by me in those relationships. Right. Again, yeah. Back to your hard work and you make, yes. you're, you're networking, you're being right. kind to people, you're being good to people, keeping those uh, options open. They're the ones, your customers actually brought this opportunity. They did. And they so, did. So you and this there. doesn't come from being a, tr- a Sandler trained killer, right? Mm-mm. He's just, Mm-mm. he's just a good, honest dude. Yeah. yeah. It's like the story of the, the washing machine salesman that takes a vacation and they pull up Billy, who's the technical guy. And, He's just legitimately helping people on the floor (laughs) and they, they, you know, they promote him into sales and he starts being trained all the sales techniques and his sales numbers go down. Like at some point you're just helping people. And if you lose track of that, so there was some of that, that was also inherently here in the fact that all I did was just honestly work hard for folks. And so the most valuable thing about a salesperson, especially in the, the rep, business, especially in our business, but anywhere is the idea that we need to be free employees for that company. You're not a prospect because I'm the hero and I've got the thing that you need and you want, and I'm going to sell it to you. You're the hero, you know, your business is the hero. And I'm going to come in and talk with you about why I do what I do, how I do it. And Oh, by the way, I've got some things in my trunk. Um, the next little bit that we'll talk about, about the rep firm models that we actually five years ago started another adaptation to the rep firm model. Um, and we called it the PSO or professional services organization. So that's the next part of that story is we have gone from the contextual selling to actually expanding our uh, service offering to the manufacturer community who hires us and the customer community who wants things from us. All right, before we get to that, and and we're going to run out of time here soon. I want to go back to this. So you go to this company, you interview with HWP. David Perganis, yeah. And David, who's the second owner, second generation owner. Yep. uh, With with the intent of, I'm going to buy you. He asks. I didn't even think about it. I simply was a year and a half into a new job, just wanting a better boss. Yeah. So he he and I sit down. He says, "Let's let's talk. So we hang for three hours. We eat dinner in 30 minutes, and we sit there for two and a half. The waiter's pissed off, and we're just having a great time. It comes up, hey, not only am I looking for someone here, but Atlanta's our biggest market. I'm 50, you know, I'm 58. Which is ancient, Alan. Ancient. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty spry to me. But okay, well, go ahead. All right, we'll so in the rep firm world, here's we're one seasoned. more little nugget. In we're the rep firm world, we don't own anything. We don't have any assets. So right. we're at what's called a goodwill company. Yep. So the manufacturer is our customer base. So David is, it's hard to buy and sell a rep firm. It's hard to sell it. Because you tell these manufacturers, hey, these are my guys, and the manufacturers have to buy in because we're on 30-day contracts. Yeah, right. So you, you are basically buying, I mean, we're buying paper. Yes. Yeah, you're buying paper and hopes. Buying right? nothing. But So he had nothing to sell. Right. right? I, I, and so that's why it's smart on him yep. to say, hey, look, I see this young man. Starting early. Fire, yep. And I'm going to, I'm going to. Because that's the only way you, he his yeah, his exit strategy was going to be really tough. That's right. Based so, on the business model I'm here. So he at. drove that in right thing, first thing. And I don't know that he would have, you know, it was a few hours into the meeting. So I think he, you know, needed to get a good feel for me. 
but it heard a lot of good things. And when he brought that up, Hey, would you be interested in this one day? All this stuff came rushing back to me, all these opportunities that had really not presented themselves in the sense that it hadn't all come to come into view. So he says, I'm looking for this rep, but I'm also looking for someone one day to purchase the company from me and transition into an ownership role. All right. So let's get into the gritty nitty. Uh, and that's why, you know, I wrote my book. It's called From the Zoo to the Wild. And of course, Alan, uh, I put him on mute so he can't rip on me. Uh, <laughs> that I get to push my book out there again. But so when this goes down, I don't know how much you'd like to share, but uh, a lot of times people go, you know, I'm thinking about getting my own business, but, 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 but how much is too much? And, 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 and what, what and I don't have any money. You know, if I, yeah. I'm working in corporate America, I got my 401k. Do I, do I take all my 401k out? It might be a hundred thousand, maybe 200,000. So did, did you guys work on terms like an earn out? And then, and I'm getting into some of this because I know some of it, but tell us a little bit about how you were able to buy it. Yeah. And please stop me if there's too much detail. I know we're running out of time, but I also, also think this maybe is what this is about. So I'm happy to share it because it was such an awesome learning experience. Um, I moved into just selling first. Um, Trey came over eventually when he got screwed and I introduced him to Dave and said, look, I think we're the pair for you. I didn't want to do it by myself. I honestly didn't. Um, glad I didn't, frankly, I love Trey and I think right. we've done a great job. So, so you, you, you grabbed a partner, which yep. is another, uh, that's a whole nother podcast. We're not going to get into that. Yeah. So, completely foreign to you, Chris. Yeah. yeah. I, th the last thing I was going to do is pick a partner. In fact, that's in my <laughs> book. Uh, I unmuted Alan now. Uh, but yeah. All right. So we're talking about this. So, all right. You got, oh, you got this is a great part. Great part of the story. So I go to, we go to Dave and we say, we're ready. So sure had been with Miller Electronics and the older gentleman had pitched Trey as the next guy. Right. So then the older gentleman decides, I don't really want to give this money up right now. So he puts Trey in a bad light to, to stay the owner for a while, to not sell to Trey right away. It was this, this uh, poker move that backfired. Trey called his bluff and said, man, this is crap. I'm out. So calls me. We go to David. Uh, Trey is the relational um, guy with Sure, which is a huge global company, right? So he says, David, I think if you sell the company to Marcus and I, and we're able to come in um, and and shore this up, I think that we can bring Sure over from Miller. I think they'll come to us. And they had been with Miller since 1954. So we said, we're in. We made the play. And we made it strong. And at this time, David and I had worked together for about a year and a half. Trey comes over and credit to David. David hires a couple people, wants to see that work first. All the, all the while we're working with lawyers and attorneys. But the fun part of the story for those that are out there thinking about this is that um, we were way off. Trey and I had never done this. David had done it. We thought the business was you know, worth this. David thought it was worth this way higher. And for the, for the podcast world, uh, put the first hand down by your, yeah, ankles. down by your and ankles. Yeah. You thought it was. <laughs> yeah. And David had it up over his head. Like every business owner always has, Ever, by the yeah. way, I'm that guy now. Uh, but I wanted to be that guy at the ankles. All yes. Right, so go. So we had to learn fast. Um, my father-in-law at that time had sold a couple, three businesses. One thing I'll share in the podcast here, that was the absolute coolest thing that I would love to share with anyone I can ever talk to is that we were so low down by the ankles. He was way up high over his head. We're talking about millions of dollars difference in what we thought it was worth and what he wanted to get. And my father-in-law said, Marcus, let me ask you something. What do you have now? And I said, I got about, you know, 
$100,000 salary. And he said, okay, if I came to you and told you that I would give you a business and 500 grand a year, but for, I don't remember what he said, eight years, you're going to pay me 400 grand back, but you're going to own the business. Would that be a good deal? Would you do that deal? And I said, well, yeah, I think I got a business out of it. Right. And he said, yeah, don't be mad at your money. Ooh, that's a great, isn't that good? Don't be mad at your money. Don't be mad at your and money. And I would tell you guys, uh, I am not as Christian as Marcus is. I am very mad at my money right now. I am always <laughs> mad. I am consistently mad at my money all the time or lack thereof. <laughs> what does that mean? So for us, it meant this. For us, we couldn't get past this number. It's worth this. It's worth this. We, you know, we Googled crap. We were young. We didn't know what we were doing. And to David, the number we were giving him was like, well, hell, I'll just run it for three more years and shut it down and I'll make what you're going to pay me. Right. That makes no sense. So we were way off. So this concept of get the business, don't be pissed that you're paying me 400, you're getting 500. So you're still at a hundred, but you own a business. So we did it. We made a deal that was great for David and was great for us because in two years, we doubled the business in and, two years. And so, and so I, I, I that is it, what you just heard guys is stuff that you just don't get in business school. You don't get on piece of paper and you don't get, unless you get a personal invitation to talk to Marcus Myers and you get this on a podcast about the way he thought about this and worked that deal. Go back. If you didn't catch it, rewind it, listen to it again, because I'm 15 years in my business and guys, I'm not doing this the rest of my life. I am thinking already about my exit strategy and what I'm doing. And I am right now I'm David and I've got my hands way over my head. <laughs> and I know that people want to think way down at their ankles and you got to come out to an arrangement that works and don't be mad at your money. And like I said, good. I am mad at your money all day long. Yeah. That's a great story, Marcus. Thank you so much for sharing that one. That that is that's gold right there. I mean, that's like double gold. I can't even tell you how much gold that is. Hmm. And now he's a big deal. And he well, <laughs> he is a big deal. I mean, I want to, I mean, again, HWP, I looked him up, uh, premier, uh, group here. And you guys, you're, you're, you're supplying some of the biggest integrators out there. Uh, and again, in the manufacturers rep world. So now these are not names we would know, but we would know your sound and your AV stuff. If we went to certain places in the Southeast, what are some of those great places? Oh yeah. So there's everything from corporate boardrooms, to the production company that does the Kenny Chesney tour. So we just, uh, we just went, oh, I don't remember the country act. We just, my wife and I hopped backstage and in the green room with one of the country guys recently, um, uh, just because the production company had all of our gear and we know those folks and they get us the tickets back, you know, backstage to all that stuff. So, uh, retail stores, music stores, but we're also in it and even security. So, uh, building automation, security systems, surveillance, Anything technology. So great blend and mix of music. Um, so we, we all want to talk about, uh, I was about to say something really bad. Pizza Christian rock dude. So I can't say star fucker. So I'm not going to say that one. I'm glad but... you didn't say that, Chris. Good job restraining you. yourself. Bro, I appreciate so, no judgment. So good. So good. <laughs> no judgment. But, but uh, what's the percentage of your business? Because I think that what you just hit on was that you diversified your, your base of customers. And I think that is the genius of what you've done. You talked about. Who wants to hear about a boardroom? Who wants to hear about IT? Who wants to hear about the no? But what's the percentage uh, mix of your business right now between huge venues and IT and networking? So we call it systems integration, uh, production rental staging, and retail consumer. Those are the three different categories. And so 
the systems integration business is probably, I don't know, 50% and production would be maybe 30 in the AV side and then uh, retail, maybe 20. But when you throw in AV against security, it's probably something like 70, 30 overall. Well but done. the interesting part I would say is didn't really even realize, and this is the shortcoming and something I wish I would have known sooner, but in a within that first few years of being there, kind of came to the realization that the manufacturer is actually our customer. It's not the customer. So if you think whoa, about what the rep whoa, firm whoa. does, that Spoke really that changed. For a minute. just blew your mind. Didn't yeah. Look out. Did you hear me? He just, oh my God, he dropped a book and now <laughs> he's talking about, oh my gosh, he's talking about, oh my God, the manufacturer is your customer. All right. All right. I'm ready. Yeah. So the manufacturer not only cuts us the check, but without them, we have nothing to offer. So we have to be valuable to the manufacturer first. So even though we sit in the middle and we provide value to both, the shift was realizing that the manufacturer needed to be uh, needed to perceive and know that we were valuable first. And that's only heightened since the internet, but that's where we shifted to the PSO. So now not only are we sales as a service, we're technical expertise as a service, logistics as a service, marketing as a service, events as a service, all this great stuff that's an expansion of what we do regionally on behalf of these big huge manufacturers they can't they just can't there's too much dirt and there's too much stuff in their regional sales manager who's our boss says man i want to put on an event you know in atlanta who's going to do that well we do that the customer says uh you know the integrator says man i don't know how to make this work who can i call this 800 number and never get anyone you know what i'm going to call marcus so again we're free employee to that business and they call me when they need to make something work. And that's actually valuable to the manufacturer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Because you, you've opened that door for them because you guys have, have submitted yourself in this six state area of uh, doing that, man. Well done. I mean, what a great story and great arc. Uh, I'm, I think if you didn't pick something on this one, you uh, absolutely, absolutely were closing your eyes or probably driving too far fast in your car. Just don't hit that guy in front of you. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. He might be there. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Watch out, man. All right. Slow down. All right. All right, put it back. We're back. We're back. All right, good. All right, let's go. Because we're all listening on our cars. We know what we're doing. I know what you guys are doing. You're listening to me on the car. You got me on probably 1.5. Keep up with me, there, big boy, because <laughs> I talk fast. Let's go. Marcus, so you guys in the business, you guys are killing it. You're crushing it, doing it. Is there room for expansion? Do you do? Are you still thinking right now at this point, because you're a younger guy, are you thinking, I want to expand? Are you thinking, I like where I'm at? This is a good family lifestyle. Again, you, you've acquired a business and we, you talk us through that. Where are you at now? So the expansion for us is truly into that service realm. It really is. And um, eight years ago, we were the first rep firm in the country to hire an employee that didn't sell anything or pick up the phone. So we, we hired someone whose only job was to be a technical expert. So when we did that and realized the value that that brought to the manufacturer and then also the customer base, we said, man, we're, we're onto something here. So I got to believe in your business. It's just, we talk about computers moving so fast. Your business is working so fast. So and fast. The fact that you've already gotten ahead of it like that. I mean, it's like he's writing his own music again. And now for what it's worth, we're creating revenue streams around these additional services. So where the traditional independent manufacturers rep firm was just simply seeing a commission check, which was a percentage of the sales in our territory. We're now offering technical services and commissioning events, things that allow us to bring in revenue from both sides for different things that we do. 
Marcus, this, this has been, uh, for me, uh, amazing. What a great arc. And uh, I, Alan, thank you so much. I feel like we're smartless, uh, but, but we're better than those guys. <laughs> and you brought in a secret guest, and I have really enjoyed talking with Marcus. And again, for our listeners, I think this has been amazing. Uh, you shared a lot of stuff that you just don't get, man. We talk about this all the time. You can go to school all day you want. You can go to school for eight years. You would not have picked up what you just picked up in the last hour. Mm-hmm. So figure it out. Listen to this stuff. This stuff's good. But Marcus have, doesn't know about the four questions, I don't think. Well, you probably didn't tell him. So I'm not, I'm not even, you know what? Uh, but he's already given us one because he gave us the book, the Challenger Sale. That's one. Book. Oh, so sure. Flush my question. But go ahead with you know, Sorry, right. Alan. Yeah. Hey, Alan's Alan's question is such a throwaway. It's such a podcast. Probably the one everybody listens to and writes down. But go ahead. All right. Go ahead with your three. To to be fair, the last (laughs) last two books I've listened to are because Alan's question. (laughs) I just don't want to tell him. Oh, shit. I just did it again. Hey, Michael, take that out. Hurry up. That's funny. All right. So uh, you told us about the Challenger sales. So that's the book. Is there another book right now that you would tell somebody to go read for our audience? Either looking to start a business, scale a business. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you're going to like this one. I will tell you this. I'm a, I'm a big believer in studying temperament. So if you, I'm just going to say it, uh, the, the temperament side of Myers-Briggs and DISC, I've done all that stuff. The number one hands down most valuable thing that I've found, not only in, um, influencing behavior, but just in general, overall understanding, uh, yourself and others and how you communicate is the Enneagram. And there's a book out there called The Story of You about the Enneagram. And it is an incredible book that can help and allow you to immediately start to discern someone else just through discussion, just through communication, and then be able to orient to their. I hope you're hanging with us right now because we're bringing Marcus back. He just hit me because I'm a huge discophile and still thinking about the Enneagram, but I'm still such a disc dude. It is such an important piece for the way I run my business. And he just drops that one right there at the end. So I knew, I knew you'd like that. Oh, I'm my God. Marcus is awesome. a high D, double D. Oh. High D, high D, secondary C. But I'll say this. The Enneagram straight up, Chris, is like disc on crack. You will not be disappointed. All right. It, it is shockingly uh, impactful. Oh, my God. All right. I've had it suggested to me. All right, people, go out there, check it out, because I'm about to do the same thing. I'm going down the journey. I might be doing a little ayahuasca. I might be doing a little Aaron Rodgers, get into the cave and get all <laughs> negative, whatever, whatever, and then figure it out. But I I, I think I got to go there because I've been a big disc guy for, uh, I've been in business for 15 years. I've been doing it for 12 with all my people. Yep. Everybody in my company has been disc profile. Incredibly helpful. Yeah, but the Enneagram. All right, man, that's a good one. All right. Number uh, two question. See, I said number two. Thanks. Question. Yeah. Because that's what I think of your first question. Wait, number two. Number two. No. All right. What does number two do for you? All right. Let's go back to it. What is the favorite feature of your house? The favorite feature? Because I'm a home remodeler. I'm a renovator. Handyman. I love my house. What's Marcus favorite has feature an of awesome house. It's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Uh, the the it's, favorite feature. It's not AV. I'm going to be the favorite. No, it's like feature. it might be his garden. It's the garden. Oh. <laughs> garden. It's good. Bro, I'll show you all the pictures. Anti-AV. It's out of this world. I can't do technology every second of my life. So I get out in the dirt, and it is fantastic. And there, Oh, my God. The garden. So I, 
people, that is so key is what he just said. You can't be so focused on your business a hundred percent of the can't time. Can't do it. It's not I mean, healthy. I do. I, I think about it all the time, but you got to have that release. Yep. And even while you're digging in the dirt, man, or playing in the pool or, you know, drinking in Tahoe or going to the pro-am or going to a winery else in Napa does. or I mean, average uh, weekend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you got to have time for yourself. That's awesome. That's awesome that you work in the garden. And that actually is a huge fit because I was waiting to hear maybe I had a violin room. I had a music room or the man cave. You'd think he'd have the best man cave ever. And the, I have four I, daughters. We missed that on this whole podcast. <laughs> I don't get man anything oh unless I'm in the bathroom. Do you know what? Back to back to back, back to no pot to piss in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I seriously. I seriously. One of my buddies, uh, he uh, he was the sixth and he had. He had five older sisters. Oh, the 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 dad, right? There was not enough bathrooms in the house. The dad, <laughs> we used to line up and uh, piss in mason jars in the back of the garage because he could never get into a bathroom. <laughs> and we saw him out there. I'm like, what the hell is that? And he goes, I don't know. You know, <laughs> and, and we and and now everybody knows. So there you go, mason jars in the backyard because dad could never take a piss. <laughs> I will tell you just real quick, not to be too cheesy, but the garden thing is not just the escape. I've learned this too. There's still so much value to knowing yourself through disc or Enneagram and knowing that there's still the component of being able to, um, to have action that accomplishes something, but it doesn't have to be this big, huge, massive business owner thing. So I struggle just kind of sitting around, but the garden is a great way to go do something and see some results. You know, I think that, and I talk about this all the time with my guys in my business is when I worked at the bank every night, I used to throw my briefcase over my shoulder, get in my car, my Mercedes E and then uh, out of my parking spot with my (laughs) custom suit and my cufflinks. And I drive home and get, guess what I got to show (laughs) for nothing in the briefcase. Zero, zero, zero. Yeah. Now I don't have the Mercedes. I don't have the cufflinks. I don't have the custom suit. But my guys get to send me pictures of what they did in houses. And we are truly extraordinary individuals working and doing remarkable activities in houses every day. That's right, I bro. I got done telling them that this morning. Because isn't that so rewarding? And that is, I, I tell you guys, for all the money I used to make at the bank that I <laughs> that I wish I would have been able to get. No, you I'm still kidding. sound kind of bitter. No, not bitter. But bitter. You're not bitter. I'm hearing, I'm hearing this. Someone told me three weeks ago, shared joy is double joy. That's it. Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah. I love Share it. joy is double joy. When I see these pictures of some of the stuff that my guys do, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I'm pretty handy, but it's, these guys just kick my, kick my butt. But the fact that we have a company that does this stuff and it's, I, and that's what I told them. It's doing so pretty cool at my house coming up. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we're at, we're going to do some really cool stuff at Alan's <laughs> house, by the way. He is very excited. <laughs> Private barbecue. Mustard. Mustard. <laughs> you know what? I think I need to just skip the customer service question to go right to the end. I want a DIY nightmare story. A DIY nightmare. And I don't want do to do it yourself. About, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude, big green egg, hands down. <laughs> what? Oh, oh, yeah. The, oh, oh, yeah. The, hello, let's go. It's the great turkey disaster of 2017. <laughs> That's how my family knows it. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. It was too big. The, the turkey was too big for the egg. My dad comes over, <laughs> just dumps oil on it. The drip pan is too small for the turkey. The thing's just dripping everywhere. So that all the flames come up. Everyone starts screaming. I'm back in the garden. I come running back and there's a six foot, I kid you not, six foot tall torch coming out of the top of that egg. 
And I, the, the, I mean, horror, the horror. It's right next to my house, and my wife is screaming like, "The, the house, the house!" I mean, it was awesome. So I, I like hurl the thing open, which made the you know, backdraft. All the flames come out. My brother's arms, just all his hair on his arms, just get burned off. I throw the water on it, which is also terrible, but it worked. So it didn't put the fire out. Um, and my father-in-law said, uh, so this black, this turkey is just black. I mean, just completely black. And he said, well, how long has it been on? I said, about half an hour. And he said, is it black on the outside? How long was it black? I said, a couple minutes. He said, just finish it. Finish the cook, 225. Sure enough, it was awesome. All that black char held in all the moisture. So I just peeled the char off, and it was amazing. The There it is. You want to learn how to uh, cook on green egg? Let go to YouTube. You can check out Marcus Myers. Yeah, That's great turkey disaster. disaster. <laughs> I, I I highly recommend send the shit out of your turkey and then cook yeah. it. <laughs> Singe it first. It'll hold the moisture in. You heard it here first, people. Marcus, this has been amazing. I have enjoyed this. I hope you did as well. And if you didn't listen to something and pick something up, shame on you. But again, don't hit somebody. All right, all right, but. Can you go out there and give me a review, man? I'm just, I'm begging. I'm be- Is that bad? That's bad sales, right? I should be confident. I need, yeah. I need more confidence, as Coach Don says. But I, I, I just, just give me a freaking review, will you? Alan wants to hear more about his commercial real estate. He says, "Hey, Chris, you know, um, you know, I sell commercial real estate." I said, "Yeah, but you don't want tire kickers." So if you want to buy commercial real estate and you're not a tire kicker and you're serious, I want you to call Alan. <laughs> but don't bullshit him. Do not tire kick him. Don't don't kick you, my tires. Because if you kick his tires, I'm going to come kick you in the nuts. You got me? All right, Chris, you won't like slash that. your tires, and you won't like yeah. that because Chris is always angry about his money. All right, everybody, we're out of here. Keep going up that mountaintop, and let's make it happen. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>